1: Coming up on The Payoff, the book is Chris Terrian, Road to Redemption. And it's all about this former NHL bruisers, life in recovery, and before that, his life in hockey. Chris was not only one of the best players in Philadelphia Flyer history, but he was also one of the hardest partiers. Uh, One story he shared with me about actually drinking in between periods of an NHL hockey game and going out and playing better in the last period of the game, after drinking in the parking lot, is all you need to know about where addiction can take you. But his rise in recovery is, of course, the best part. Again, the book, Chris Terrien, Road to Redemption, is out now. This podcast is up next. But first, that's not some of my best work. Kevin Souza.
0: Terrian
1: going at it with audgers. Holy geez.
0: Look at Look out. All right. Chris, what's up, man? How much? Pete? How you doing,
1: buddy? <laughs> Dude, thank you so much for taking the time to do this.
0: No, no problem at all. Happy to help.
1: I've had you in the crosshairs for a while. I was uh, I, I, I didn't know. I didn't know you were sober till about the inquired story on you about I think it was two or three years ago. And it, it was, it was about,
0: just about a year ago, a little over a year ago. Time it, flies.
1: Time does fly, and it was like, for somebody else who's sober, it's every time somebody like you goes out there and shares that message of hope, it's like a real shot in the arm.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I appreciate that. And and that's the message, you know, I hope to get to people, is like, you know, shake that stigma off yourself, and, uh, you know, pick yourself up off the ground. That's, that's the way I look at life, and that's the way that, I think everybody can do it too. I got sober, so I believe anybody can, and I'll oh. share that with you on your show.
1: So, what's your podcast, by the way? I, uh, my friends back in Philly are talking about it.
0: It's called Snow the Goalie, and uh, it's really it's a Flyers podcast. It's a uh, crossing. It's on Crossing Broad, which yeah. is uh, you know the, the the host. But it's it's a hockey. You know, we do get some stuff out as well. Uh, you know, like on, on on addiction and what my my journey and. Uh, you know, doing stuff at Karen and
1: uh, you were at NBC Sports in Philly for, for a long time. Uh, you know, working on Flyers broadcasts. Your last, first of all, you go to Karen, same place that I went, uh, about yep. more than 11 years ago at this point, and you walk in there. Now, here you are, you played 12 years in the NHL, you played almost yep. 800 games with the Flyers, something like 750, and you walk in there. So, you're, you're an athlete, right? Like, you're just fine tuned. And they say to you when you walk in, in 50 years, we haven't had anybody come in with a higher blood alcohol level and live.
0: That's correct. Yeah,
1: 0.63. And what? Brad
0: still laughs about it. Like, I mean, I laugh at it now, but there's nothing to laugh about. I mean, it's disgusting. It's pathetic. Uh, but that just shows you what my level was at the time. And, and really, at that time in my life, I mean, my sister was dead two weeks before that. Uh, you know, I was checking in the Karen. I mean, it's just, it was just—it was a mess. And, but but what was weird about that? One alcohol levels, and to use two machines. Because I'll tell you the story if you want to hear it on the podcast. And then you know, the nurse, the nurse looked like she was going to pass out. Uh, Like when she saw my blood alcohol, she's like, uh, uh you know, she couldn't even talk. And I, and I was talking and walking and standing like I would be right now, like sober as a judge. Uh, That's
1: and, what I look like. And and they just for you it's business as usual. But even for them, when something. Addiction related would be business as usual. They were they were blown away, and they said it was because you were such a highly trained athlete. Otherwise, you probably would have been dead.
0: Yes, the guy absolutely said it. He goes, "If you were not, and and the thing was, is I was in incredible shape even then. Like I, that, drink it like that. But my, my, my physical condition, like you could have put me if if there was like a thing. I mean, I was one of those guys. I could work out till or drink till two in the morning and be up at five thirty going to the track.
1: And that's the hockey and, and culture. And, right?
0: It is. It is. And that's, you know, like work hard, play hard.
1: Yeah. So you, you're, you're Karen in 2006. I want to go back. I mean, now you're working as a recovery advocate with Karen and I I am just in love with, with Karen because it, I feel like it's, it it saved my life, dude. The moment I walked in there, something changed for me and I haven't been the same since in a, in a very positive way. And And
0: I feel the same way. I have the same affinity for Karen and, uh, and what they've done, and the people are, it's all about people. Business is about people, relationships. And at that time in my life, you know, like where I was with my sister being gone and I'm my only sibling, you know, I needed something to find hope in. And, uh, you know, with my little kids at home, my three daughters at the time, and you know, I wasn't able to be the kind of father that they needed at that time. And, and, and the people at Karen taught me how to do that. I got a couple more bumps in the road after that, but really those messages that resonated with me at that time were the ones that I learned at Karen in my 30
1: days. Well, and you talk about it. That's kind of, people say relapse is part of the process. Sometimes, it, it, I mean, it is. I mean, it just absolutely is. It was part of my process. And mm-hmm. there's stuff you pick up in recovery that kind of is supplanted yeah. in your subconscious that you... You kind of, it's still fishing around in there. And when you're willing, it's, it's, it's right there for, for you to take advantage of.
0: Yeah. You know, it's funny too, Pete, because, you know, when I, when I did get, you know, I went to Karen for 30, as I said, 30 days in July of 2006. And, um, I think the biggest thing for me was when I was in there, I remember it was July, um, uh, July 8th, of 2006, the day I, I went in there. And, uh, my blood alcohols they said 0.63 but you know i went in i came out happy um more or less happy to just not be on that pattern of drinking that i was on so i had a relief when i got out of there you know at that time my wife was just sick of me um she probably still is <laughs> but, but in a different way i guess and um yeah, you know what I mean? And, and those, are, those, are the, those are the relationships that you try to rebuild. And sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. I mean, there's always a difficult path with that. But, you know, when I got out, I just wanted to be sober. And, and it was a couple of years after that. I got about almost two years. And, and I always tell people, be careful when you come up on that two-year mark. Because it happened to me almost again. The, the second time around is, I don't know, something felt like a, a level of comfortability with me. And I decided to go out and try it again. And I found out and after in about 2008 and about the summer that yeah, it just wasn't going to work out. Like, you know, I knew it, but again, those accidents, the things started happening, uh, 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 you know, a fall down. Um, as my kids would say, you have the eyes, you know, all the signs that you had before, it just doesn't go away. And that's the cucumber and the pickle adage, right? Like you can't take the pickle out of the jar and turn it back into a cucumber again, because I'm already pickled, and that's kind of like what I've understood and where I'm at now, in my and my sobriety in my life is that, you know, where I got off that bus or that train, I will get right back on it again, and if I if I choose to drink uh, to drink again, and I know that now, and that's the trick to recovery, is I think for anybody to understand what their deficiencies are as a person, uh, what their strengths are as a person, and things that push push back against them as they did for me. And that was alcohol, uh, you know, and I've been comfortable now looking at myself in the mirror when I get up in the morning and say, you know what? I am an alcoholic. Um, I'm okay with it. I have alcohol use disorder. As I prefer to say the word is changing. That word alcoholic is definitely kind of, is, is, is kind of going by the wayside a lot of ways, but you know, there's a way to view yourself. And I, and I view myself as somebody that has had challenges. Uh, someone that's had great successes as well in my life. Uh, But a lot of those successes came before um, and after my drinking. And I guess with hockey, yeah, I mean, and and the beginning was when it was with the Flyers. You know, it was during my career that my my alcohol use disorder began. um, And it's where it went on the rise. But where I'm at now, um, I'm in a very, very different place and an understanding of my own self, um, a comfort level um, with who I am. And uh, an understanding, I guess, too, that, you know, you're never going to please everybody. Um, and so the most important person that you can please is yourself and God, and let the rest trickle down to whoever else intertwines with you in your life. And, and that's how I live it right now. I try to give back to the community. Uh, I try to let people reverberate and understand what I went through. My drinking, it was painful. There was nothing pleasant about the end of it. It was awful. And I remember that. You know, it's, it's embedded in my head, and um, it's something that I just can't forget. But you know, I have that. You know, like I know you do too. Pete. We have that sobriety built in. And for a lot of newcomers, they're the most important ones to try to get this program uh, and be completely honest with themselves um, about who they are, just like I was. And, and I also say the biggest thing for me, and I think a lot of people now uh, in the world of, uh, of alcohol and drug use and mental health, is to, to shake the stigma. Yeah. It's okay to have it. It's okay to have something wrong with you. You know, I, I had I had a problem drinking. I know a lot of people who ask, Yeah. but it's not necessarily what, for me, you know, what we do in that moment, it's how you respond to anything. Life is about falling down and how you pick yourself back up. And to me, that's everything. And yeah. that's been everything to me.
1: And it's like 20, I think 20% of people that actually have problems with alcohol actually seek treatment. So there, that just gives you the idea of how many other people are out there just in the wind struggling that aren't even you know that don't have the courage to ask for help. you touched on something about your your career in hockey and your success and I think that's something I, I, I want to hit on. You were so successful at hockey you know that's a tough combination because athletes that are successful tend to think they're bulletproof young people period tend to think they're bulletproof and Folks that are succeeding on Wall Street or any kind of business when they're younger, they feel like they're bulletproof. And so you're, you're drinking, but it's kind of, it's under control as, as you get into the NHL. But you, again, like you, you get a silver in, in the 94 Olympics with Canada, your career, you get to the Flyers, you're in Hershey for a cup of coffee for a little bit, and then you're right up with the, with the big team. How is the drinking w- when all that's going on?
0: You know what, like, early in my career, I, I would say, like, if I, if I could go back to even, you know, I was a partier in college, like anybody, but, like, a, you know, weekend warrior, you know, Friday. and But, you know, again, yeah, there were times in college where, you know, I was very focused, you know, on a, on a weekend um, weekend event, uh, you know, if the team was playing. I had to, you know, I had to make sure that I was in tip-top shape for my game. I didn't even, drinking wasn't a thought then. It was, you know, part of it because you're in college like everybody else does. But it wasn't really till my journey, maybe three or four years into playing for the Flyers, uh, that I probably noticed maybe it got a little bit more. My first year in the NHL, I never drank. Never drank. Yeah. 1994-95 was a lockout shortened season. I I think I drank two nights the entire year, like that year. So it gives you an idea of where my thought was. And then the pressures of playing in the league. You know, and, and again, you know, I'm one of those guys like I had a, I had a wonderful childhood. I had a great mom and dad, amazing sister, amazing family. Uh, you know, I played hockey. Um, you know, and again I, I didn't there's you know, I I you know, whether I, I not going to say whether I, my parents are, are non uh, you know major alcohol users I think everyone that we know probably has multiple alcoholics in their family yeah uh, but that doesn't matter you know my but my, my addiction I think came on as I approached like the, the almost the turn of the millennium is when I started to notice it was getting bad uh, not so much then I was still a manageable functional alcoholic as you'll say it was my last year after the NHL lockout in 04 that I was just a mess it was I an don't... absolute
1: yeah, go, go ahead. Sorry. Before we get to '04, I gotta believe because I, I, you know, I'm from Philadelphia. It was fun enough for me to watch you guys go to the Stanley Cup right in 1997. Yeah. I mean, that was a blast. <laughs> and you know, the Flyers now are always kind of the heartbeat of the of the city of Philadelphia or a portion of it at least. Um, but back then, they were they were national. They were more on a national stage all the time. What was that ride like? How much how much fun was that? And was there any debauchery?
0: You know what I mean? Those are you know. I ended up being a huge piece of a pie for a team for a decade. That you know, I didn't know who I'd be when I came. In. I became a top pair defenseman with the for ten years. You know, and I, and I guess so. I tell people in Philadelphia that I took my art, my craft, very seriously uh, until it was really my last year. That was the one year that I felt that I cheated myself and the fans and the team. Uh, up until then, I mean, I had I lived the life of Riley in the NHL. Um, you know, I was a huge part of this team. Yeah. My my greatest accomplishment, I say, is you know I played the most games in the history of the franchise as a defenseman for the Flyers and anybody else. No, seven hundred and fifty three. Uh, yeah, just a couple ahead of Joe Watson. Uh, at the time. <laughs> yeah, and, okay. Uh, you know, so so again, you know, and, and you know, and I also say, you know, I, I don't have like a I don't have a um, a whole wall of awards uh, from the league uh, with my name on it. You know, my name put on them, but. You know, I played here, like I said, for 12 years for who I believe is also the greatest leader in the history of pro sports and Bob Clark. So, you know, I look at that, too, as a guy who is the ultimate judge of character. And, you know, I felt like maybe he won't want to hear it now. But, you know, when I say I played 12 years for Bob Clark and that speaks more volumes than any other award I could have ever had.
1: Bob Clark, so, NHL Hall of Famer, just a, a legend, legend. In, in, in Philly. One guy who got sober on that Stanley Cup team was Bernie Perrant. And he was the goalie yeah. for the Flyers in the early seventies. Was was he's not, he's not alone, Pete. He's yeah. not alone in that, yeah. in that. team. Did did he, you know, like, reach out to you, or, or was that some a connection you made when you got sober? Is there any relationship there? Because I've I've heard him speak, and I'm like, wow, he's very uh, he's like you, very charismatic, and I love how he carries the message.
0: Yeah, you know what, I, I do. And, and, you know, Bernie, I did a show with Bernie uh, a little while ago over at uh, Chickies and Peace down at Rowan University here. It was the two of us and Paul Jolovitz. And, yeah. you know, we were just kind of yakking it up a little bit about hockey. But, no, he he texts me you know, all the time about, you know, carrying the mantle of somebody that has enough courage to, to say, hey, listen, I, I'm a normal guy. You know, I had a normal childhood and a normal upbringing. I, I mean, I'll, I go through some of the maybe the things that I think that led to maybe where it was, but – Barney supports me. Other guys that are very much inundated in the program, a guy like Reggie Leach, who's been very, very, uh, uh, very vocal on his platform as well. Another Stanley cup champion. Um, so again, you know, I mean, I think drinking Pete goes through the culture of the league and, and you're not, you're not going to find a shortage of guys. Uh, i sadly in many cases uh, in the NHL that, um, you know, that, that don't have issues I mean it's the way that that's the way the culture worked and um uh unfortunately that's you're going to see guys come up against it in many ways that have addictions and most of the addictions in hockey you know are alcohol I, I, I think it's just kind of the very much the culture of uh, of the sport we play and so a guy like Bernie Perrant or someone else that's, I mean, I can go through a list of guys. I don't want to break anyone's anonymity sure. in any case, they're not out there. I just remember, you know, just Bernie and Reggie as two guys that do put themselves out there. So I didn't want to breach that, but, uh, very, very supportive of me. And I even, I, I put a message out, I think a couple of weeks ago on, on one of them, Facebook or Twitter, just saying, Hey, listen, if anybody here in this Delaware Valley is struggling, I have amazing places for you to go. Karen being top of that list. Um, I have a small aftercare facility in the city, which was part of my give back as well. But there's so many great people. Uh, Karen, of course is so dear to me that that's where, you know, I would love to push everybody because I think they have an amazing program, but really that's what I do now. So Reggie Leach would tax me or just openly saying, you know what? Uh, It's a beautiful day. And thank you for what you're doing. And and really all I'm doing is trying to carry a torch that those guys did as well. Uh, And let people know, Pete, you're not a loser. Like, you know, these things happen to people, and it doesn't make you anything. In fact, it'll only make you stronger, and that's the way I look at my life. You know, 11 years uh, and a couple months, uh, almost three months past, um, you know, my sober date, and, and every day is the same as the one before. You know, I get up, and I, I ask God to help me for today, to get through it, and I have to believe that that's a path forward that he's carved for me in and, and my journeys of life. They've not always been great. You know, I, I would have kept doing hockey a few years ago. But again, you know, not if not, you know, getting relieved of, of my job with NBC and the Flyers ended up turning into something where I was able to do more to help people and to get my voice out. So, you know, again, calling hockey games is fun. Um, the sport in many ways is, is far different. Um, it wasn't as fun. I wasn't as passionate about it. And I could say this in terms of my sobriety and carrying the message forward. Uh, my hockey career – Um, doesn't hold a candle to what my feelings and approach are uh, in the recovery world.
1: Yeah. I can feel, I can feel your passion and uh, you know, that's something that's, it's, it's contagious. And as you being a recovery advocate for Karen and you're, what you're doing as far as giving people the financial support, you mentioned it for those aftercare programs. I was an aftercare guy. I went to Karen and then I went to an aftercare for about four months and for me, that changed my life because, and you've talked about this, when you get done with the NHL and you've got idle time, right, and you, you're, you've you lost that routine. And for anybody that loses a routine, whether it's you know the mailman who retires uh, or whether yeah. it's somebody who loses their job and drinking is kind of a thing, all of a sudden you're like, oh, my God, what, what has happened? Yeah. And so rebuilding yeah. that routine through recovery, it, for me – was so key. How did you rediscover your routine in recovery after hockey? You were kind of just without a net.
0: Yeah, you know what? That's a great question, Pete. And honestly, God, it's it's the it's it's kind of the life trick question to pro sports. You know, I don't care. You know, and again, you see guys come out now, like NBA guys or baseball or whatever, they're making thirty, forty million dollars. And, and what I can say is, yes, that money's nice to have. Uh, I don't have that, uh, but <laughs> what athletes do? It doesn't. It doesn't take away the issues that you're going to face. Isolation. You know, here's a here's a problem with sports for me, and and the leagues need to do a better job. And I'm actually having an initiative I'm working on right now for guys to immediately step out of their sport and get involved in their post careers. Whether it's getting some of their jersey sales, uh, taking a passion project they have, and trying to move forward. I want to get that uh, be able to set up like a uh, almost like their own webpage. Where guys can then kind of manage it, uh, have people work, you know, work for them through through uh, you know, whether it's social media or whatever. The problem is, is that when you're in that locker room, and this is exactly how it happens. Chris Terrian plays with his 22 or 23 best friends every single day of his life for 12 years in the NHL. You're flying around on charter planes. You're, you know, my roommate was John Leclaire. And I can yeah. assure you, there's not many. Not, I mean, me and Johnny, and we used to call him Johnny Vermont. I mean, we were great friends; we still are. But we never got cheated on the road of a good party. Like we yeah. go out, and it was we we were living life. And I don't have regrets for those moments. But what 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 I do see now, as as I've gotten more wisdom and away from the game, is that the NHL and a lot of leagues don't really have a post plan for their players, and that's the biggest problem. When you're done, as I said, Chris Terrien leaves that locker room. You're out the back door. You can't just come in and visit because the locker room's sacred, right, to the, the players only yeah. on that team. So when you're out there and you realize, like, well, geez, I'm going to call this guy. That guy. well, he's in another city. He went home. And you're sitting there then looking for work or looking for things to do because you're not going to sit around. Some guys may think they're going to sit around the rest of their life watching TV. I can assure you that is not going to be what you're going to want to do. So – it, there's a whole mindset that, and a whole change on your brain that you have to become acclimated for and none of the leagues that are out there do enough because it does not matter how financially sound you are. It matters how well your mind is equipped to be able to handle that and what are you going to do to make your life a, a, you know, a, a very, very positive journey post-athletics.
1: Yes, and you do a complete 180 by by getting what sounds like the gift of desperation, right? and And, and getting sober. Where for me, that's where I I find the blueprint. I was an athlete too. I played football in college, got an injury, but they kept me on scholarship. So I had, I was like reined in, you know, and then once I got out of college, I was in free fall. There weren't people checking all my classes. There weren't people, you know, making sure that I wasn't getting in trouble on the weekends. It was uh, no more study hall. School was out, man. And, uh, you know, I didn't have the resources or or, or the star power that somebody like you did. But like you're saying, it's all the same. It's not even about it's about it's about time and it's about relationships. And, you know, you you mentioned in your final year you were you were the drinking had become so around the clock. You were drinking before games or, or in the mornings of, I guess. And you were you said you were on the ice with alcohol in your system.
0: Oh, well, there was a game, there was games that happened late. And that's kind of like where I defied myself in ways where I said, like I lost because I, you know, it got to a point where I became such a character and, and it was, it was almost like, it was almost, I, I, you know, in a lot of ways I might've been like the last of the old school. Yeah, in terms of where the league was in too and, and I and I wear that as I guess a badge of honor. I mean, but there's things and that that have happened to me in my life that I have to you know I have to live with, and 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 uh, you know, and, and again, and, and I look at it now. Some people are like, "Well, you didn't have a choice." And, and the right, I didn't. I had a choice of where of how I got there on that journey. Yeah. However, I got that part. But yeah, I mean, there was there was a my most famous story of it myself, and I have it in the book was. Um, I wrote a book, which will be out at the end of the year as well. Nice, uh, yes, sir, very, very, very self explaining of who I am. You know what what went wrong in my life and what went right, and and also a lot of great hockey stories. I know a lot of people want to hear about the Lindros era, <laughs> oh, and yeah. all, the, all all the secrets of that. So that's all in there too. But um, yeah, you know, uh, you know, when I look at, um, yeah, I, I look at, at what I did. You know, there was a game we were playing against Calgary, and this is, I mean, this is as true story. Is is You'll ever hear in the league, and it's. But uh, it was the second period. Uh, we were tied zero zero against Calgary, you know. And I, I know, for whatever, I had the worst withdrawal, and it was in the first period. And I'm thinking to myself, "We're gonna lose this game in the third because I'm playing about seven minutes a period, and uh, you know, six seven minutes, which is you know, you're like almost it's still an 18 or 20 minute night defenseman at 34 years old, um, complete alcoholic hiding it as best I can, most of the guys knew me. And I say like that old character, like just leave him alone and let him play. Yeah. The coach back, like, oh, you know, he's drinking too. I don't care. The guy's like, who gives a shit? He plays his <laughs> ass off. And that was really what I was my whole career. I was that old school throwback. I think that that, that became sensationalized with, you know, they ran hand in hand, but that game in December of 2005. Uh, I had such bad withdrawal and of course I had vodka in my car. And I went out and I, I took my skates off and I ran down the tunnel, which is where there's two security guards. Yeah. And I drank about eight ounces of vodka after the second period. Uh,
1: so obviously this game, obviously out. this game's at home, right?
0: It's a home game. yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. home game. And, and I'm like, and I broke myself. Like, it was like, I just, I couldn't get past the fact that I had to do that. Yeah. And, and it kind of, it. it and I, I, I thought of my journey in so many ways of things I'd done to get there that were so right, and and to me here I was, you know, it's still it's still it's still hard to tell that story because uh, you know all the all the, the things and all the people in the world that have worked so hard, wanted so much, and here I was in the NHL where guys would do it, and I have to have a drink, you know, after the second period. By the way, the best part of the story, and this is where Did you guys where the, the part we won one nothing in a shootout, um, and here's the best part. And this is a sad part too, Pete. Yeah. I walk into the rink the next day, and I'm in like relief. I'm like, "Holy shit!" when I drank during a game. I'm like, "This is unbelievable." Am I gonna do it again? God, I hope that never happens again. And Ken Hitchcock doors there. He's the coach, and he says, "Come in here and see me." And I'm like, "Oh shit!" Somebody must know. Like somebody knew, or somebody smelled something. And I walked into his office. So I got my, you know, my shorts and t shirt on Gary for practice. And his question to me was, how come you play so darn well against great teams like Calgary, <laughs> who we don't get the most out of against a bad team? And I'm thinking to myself, this has absolutely got to be a movie somewhere yeah. down the road. Because, and now, and, and I think part of it in the story was, like, wow, that's what alcohol did to me it actually just made me more functional and that's what my body it was calling on with the withdrawals the anxiety at the time so
1: and it's full it's full gold kind of, too right like you kind of like oh man like i actually put so even though deep down inside in your soul you're like that was pretty screwed up what i did i can't believe i did that we, we, as alcoholics and addicts we walk through doors that we can't come back through and uh
0: yeah I mean, it, yeah Go ahead,
1: Pete, sorry. No, yeah, I mean, so you're just kind of like, it's like, damn, I can't believe I did that. and, and But then yep. Ken Hitchcock's like, hey, great job. So you can always kind of like rationalize it like, oh, well, I play great. We'll get back to this conversation in a second. But right now, a word from our sponsors. The
0: all-new Chevy Colorado is made for more stacked with the latest in-vehicle technologies like a class-leading 11-inch diagonal center touchscreen and an extra-large wireless charging pad. Plus, it features wireless Apple CarPlay and Android Auto compatibility to make staying connected easy wherever your adventure takes you. Chevy Colorado, made for more. Learn more at chevrolet.com slash truck Colorado. Claims based on latest
1: competitive data.
0: I played amazing. I had an amazing third period, I could tell you that too. Um that's that's but that to me was a problem, right? Like yeah. that was where I you know, I was one of those guys that had the alcohol, you know, the, the disease of alcoholism and, and and I knew it. And I had, you know, three amazing little girls at the time, you know, a young family, and I just I didn't want to live like that. Like I was like this is insanity. Like, it was almost like, like say, I lived like that for six months. It probably that type of drinking lasted from the NHL lockout. I would say midway through it, like December of Oh four, uh, through about, a, it, you know, about 14 months. Cause I, I got a concussion in January of Oh six. My career was over. I just went back to drink and I mean, it was just, it was just the worst possible ending I could have had to, what was a great career, uh, in Philadelphia. But you know, to me, I let myself down, um, I had my last year, you know, I've, and I've had to apologize, you know, to, to myself and then to people like, you know, to kind of forgive myself for, for those type of things. It's over now. I mean, we all make mistakes, right? And that's part of the stigma. Yeah, well, so I've had, yeah. You know, I've had to, yeah, I've and, had to let go of those things.
1: And you're out there owning it, too. Uh, and I had, a, I have uh, a couple buddies. One guy who, you know, they're both sober, but one guy who attempted suicide. He didn't, it didn't, you know, obviously it didn't work out. He's still with us. He's sober about 30 years. And another guy who is an addict, he's in recovery, he's addicted to golf. He was a great basketball player, uh, but he was drinking and doing drugs. So now he's addicted to golf. And both of them, their therapist said, you know, you need to go almost like have a conversation with your 20-year-old self. uh, Mm -hmm. And and just talk, like, like, how would you, would you apologize to him? What would he say to you? Because I think a lot of times we do have you know, we have we have regret, uh, and it's like it, that's what's great about our program is we get to kind of work through all that stuff. We get to figure out like, hey, it is what it is. You're able now, Chris, to share that story and to make me as another alcoholic feel more connected to you and more powerful about recovery. And I think that is like that's next level type shit. You know?
0: Yeah, yeah, and I, and I also understand too. Like I always I say, I'm the I'm the most minor. Uh, small and type of celebrity you can find, you know, you know, but, but again, I think there's something, and I, and I believe that. And, and I know that, but I, what I say is that there's a voice of people, you know, I unfortunately in the Delaware Valley in Philadelphia, where I played 12 years and a long time, um, you know, in many ways, a lot of people watch me grow up, you know, yeah. from almost the age of 20 to 50, which is, it doesn't happen a lot. Um, so, you know, I, I mean, and also I think when I look at Philadelphia too, like, man, I guess the things I went through in my life, but well, thank God it was here because you know I realize that you talk about like the city of brotherly love. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of amazing amazing people around here, and um, I'm gifted by that every single day. You know, you might have been pissed off at me because I made a mistake in a hockey game, um, but I'm trying to help you or another person or a family member that maybe has that. And that's why I expose myself to, to the to the city. Is you know, if anybody needs anything. Find me on social media, and I mean that. Track me down. We're setting up a Bundy line right now. Which Bundy, that was your nickname. That was my name. You know, People, some people still call me Chris. Now, I get called Chris in the new world, of circle I, I travel in, but in the hockey world, it's Bundy, and it's pretty much only Bundy, and there's times I look back and someone called me Chris, and I'm like, are they talking to me? That's <laughs> um, that's that just how prominent the name became, and uh, yes, and I always tell people without going into the story, uh, it's after Al Bundy, not Ted, so I should put everybody at ease.
1: <laughs> hey, uh, so, yeah, well, you <laughs> were kind of a killer out there. So, uh, you know, I want to talk A little bit about your family um, as we move forward here, get into the recovery, and then I'll let you get back to your life. But your daughters, I I was just doing some research on this and I read some heartbreaking stuff, but also on the other side of it, it's sort of glorious where your daughters were obviously smart. They're there, two of them were great athletes, right? They played for Loyola, Maryland basketball. All all three. All All three. three. All three of them. Okay. So all three are sick athletes. But one of one of your daughters said, you know, I would go in my dad's closet. And I would find empty vodka bottles and stuff. And and I knew that this was a bad deal, you know, and I would take them and throw them away so we wouldn't be able to get them. And she said, I watched one glass turn into two, turn into three, turn into four. (laughs) Right. Like, was that a big part of your decision? Did did seeing your daughters, because a lot of guys might be listening to this or some guys, and they're still drinking. You know, a lot of the the idea for this podcast is for people, if you want to drop in and listen and get an idea what recovery is about, you know, there's a guy out yeah. there who still thinks he's quote unquote functional, but his daughter knows he's a drunk. Um, yeah. You know, how do you relate to that guy?
0: That's, that's, that, that, that's what I do. That's exactly what I do because I try to, to, to preach recovery from... You know, a human side, but also a family guy, uh, and especially a father, especially a father more so than anything else. You know, you know, it's great. I went out for that to dinner with that same girl who said those same things last Friday night. The two of us went out for Mexican din- uh, dinner together. Yeah. We laughed. Uh, we talked like there's no talk anymore of alcohol. Like she looks at me like I'm dad. And you know what? And I'm her rock star. And I'm all my daughters' rock stars now, so you know what I look at them like that, but they look at me as someone that, you know, one of the greatest rewards that I've gotten in my you know 11 years, let's say 10 years, is watching my daughters play sports. I have a son too; he's 15. Uh, people ask me he's a hockey player. Well, he's almost six five. He's a 15 year old. Wow. So I think I might try the try the football or the basketball route, which I'll talk to you more about after. But uh, you know what, but but all those things that people ask I had a man and a gentleman this is the most rewarding kind of text I get I had a guy a year ago said Chris, your story really hit me I, I have four daughters three of them are gone they're off, they're out of the house I have a baby left, she's 20 he goes, she knows I'm a drunk and he goes, and all I want is a chance to have these girls back especially my little one yeah. and I said to him, you, you can you can I said, but you can't do it in one week you can't. probably can't do it in two months and I said, the only thing you're going to be able to do it is through your actions, into action. I said, you know what? And, and when I went around that second time, too, you know, I came home and my wife would be, you know, I took like even a year after I finally did it right the second time. She didn't want to talk to me. She didn't believe me. She didn't care. Um, but my kids did. And they're the ones really there where I look at life and I said to myself, you have to do this for your kids. Because they're the ones that matter. And you know what? My greatest pride in my recovery is that I did not believe them with that Dennis Hopper character walking through the drip, gym drunk. Yeah. You know, I'm talking about. Oh, Hoosiers, yeah, Hoosiers, yeah. Where he, where he embarrassed his son in front of everybody. Shooter. And, and I thought, and, and yeah, yeah. And, and, and you know what? I look at my daughters, they've all become amazing basketball players. But they're amazing people. And um, they work hard, but most everybody says they're like uh, hockey players on ice. But like I said, when I go up with Isabelle last week, she was home. Uh, she dates an Indianapolis uh, Colts player now. Uh, he's an offensive lineman at Penn State. But I couldn't wow. be more proud of these kids. And yeah, and 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 you know what? And my daughters now don't ever look at me anymore. That's this is what I am telling That alcoholic that's struggling still and wondering about family—they will come back to you. My daughters think that I'm, I'm 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 dad. That's all I am to them. I'm not alcoholic dad. I'm not the former drunk dad. I. Uh, Chris, you know, dad that played for the Flyers, helps people in recovery right now, spreads a message of hope, broadcasts some stuff still, has an opinion that I put on a podcast about Flyers hockey. Um, And I'm a guy that comes home and acts like a normal member of society and a normal dad. And I got that back because I stayed sober one day at a time. So I tell anybody that's out there with that, you can do it because I did it. And I believe at one time in my life, I was the worst drunk in the world. And um, and that's my message of hope. I tell people, you may not get your wife back. I tell people that all the time. You may that may not. The damage that, that some people do with uh, endure with as spouses is sometimes too much. But I will promise you, your kids will come back to you always if you do the right thing. And for me, the right thing was to stay sober uh, and to be a dad. And that's all they wanted to begin with. Anyway,
1: and it sounds like the first the first time. Which obviously is we talked about. It, it's part of the process. It is part of your recovery and your story today. But the second time around, I guess in two thousand eight, after you relapsed, you really kind of put in the work. What what was different for you the second time around? Were you, were you going to meetings or were you being more accountable?
0: Yeah, yeah I get it. These are great. It's so funny too because you get you get it. Like, yeah, absolutely. You know, Pete. When I went in the first time, I you know even though I went to Karen, right? Oh, I got out and I went right to a meeting. And now I'll, I'll talk about aftercare. Also, one of the reasons I got in an aftercare, and this is nobody's fault. When I got it, when I left care in this beautiful facility, and it's nobody's fault of their own. If you don't have a really good aftercare facility or a really good AA base and a group of people waiting for you, you can fall into your habits really, really quick if you're not disciplined. Yeah. And I believe that's what happened to me. So that's why I got involved in aftercare. I believe the day you get out, you've got to be integrated with a plan that you've got to uh, uh, get get yourself started with. So that you can go live your life, and that's and that's key. You can go to a thirty-day, these beautiful thirty-day recovery centers, and they're they're amazing. The people in them are amazing. I hate to see the waste of work go to uh, away after thirty days if you're not getting the aftercare. The same story for me, and I'm not saying that you need to go to aftercare, but you have to call uh, your NA people, your AA people, whoever it is, and you have to have a network. And that was the difference when I got out of my recovery, uh, um, I went back in my final time. I would get up at seven fifty in the morning to get to that, you know, that, that meeting at eight AM that was, you know, fourteen miles away. Yeah. It was cold. It was nasty. It was, you know, January and February two thousand eleven. It didn't matter to me. And then when I got there, I started hanging around meetings. Out right. of the first two years I went, I'd go to the back, never say anything, play a video game on my phone, kinda of listen, half you know, somewhat. Wasn't sure I was still one of them, even though I knew I was. Um, AA... Get a sponsor, be around the program um, believe what you preach, but the sponsor I think was the biggest thing
1: yeah I mean for, for you the second time around you're doing the work you're getting the results you know, what does your life look like today I mean what like like what's what's a regular day by the way uh, I just want to backtrack a little bit the long term stuff is so important that saved my life and again what you're doing yep. with that is just amazing you know you're because a lot of people fall off because maybe they don't have the resources um, to, exactly. to, to pay for that. So it's called, it's the Terrian Foundation, right? And
0: Well, it's so, yeah, and we're just getting that up right now, actually, okay. Pete. Like, we're working on, on, on just, we're in the final stage. It's got to go through, like, the audit, through the, you know, taxes for IRS okay. and all. That. So we're in our, our final stages. But, yes, that will be something that I want to start, whether it's golf tournaments, soirees, uh, evenings. Our goal will be to raise money to help people that just don't do not have the finances. Whether uh, it's going to a recovery center like Taren, uh to help pay uh, to help offset financial stuff for aftercare, uh, sober living, anything and uh, all to do uh, with with the recovery field. And that's what it's it's going to be dedicated to. Um, this will be my life mission. I'm not changing any anything, uh, in the future. I just got, I just got started in this a year ago. A lot's gone on, um, with aftercare, we had a lot of trial and error through the first year and, um, and really a blessing that I've had an opportunity with, uh, with Brad and his great team at Karen to come aboard. Um, I like you just a really special place that I felt the connection to and always will. So why not spread to help spread that word about, uh, you know, my, my, what my journey looked like, um, you know, and through my eyes and my and my visit to Karen and the other the other places that I've been, uh, you know, or other, I, I have not I'm in any other places in the area, but the other the other stops that I've made and the people that I've seen in different places, uh, it's intoxicating. I say that in a yeah. word, uh, probably a bad word, you know, but it's a positive, way.
1: Yeah, of yeah.
0: In a positive way, the amount of love and support that there is in this area.
1: What do you tell What do you tell a guy that's coming back and is just trying to get one day? What do you tell him? And, and he says, "Hey, Chris, what do I do?"
0: Yeah, you know what? I, you know, I love. I, in, in somebody will call self text, be like, "Hey, Chris, I got like five days." I get it all the time. You know what? I and my answer to them is, I had five days too. Um, anybody that had ten years, my biggest problem is is, is always like, you know, I think I, I don't know if it's an you know alcohol use disorder thing with with guys, but you know, I wanted ten years tomorrow, right? I just wanted it easy. I wanted it to just be like everybody else where you heard the back, where are at the room, and they're like, "Hey, you know, I'm, I'm Bob, and I got fifteen years or whatever it is." You know, I wanted that right away. So I tell you, live life one day at a time. And, you know, and, 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 I, and I say this humbly, there was a time I couldn't get five minutes in 2006.
1: When my sister died, I had to eulogize her. Your you sister, know, and your I, sister I died, so, died suddenly from cardiac arrest. She was 32. And this is during, yeah. you, you know, your spiral. And then you just, like most, if not all of us would, you go into free fall. And, uh, you know, so you, you had to eulogize or go ahead. I cut you off, but I want to just give people a No, back no. and
0: it was, it was, a, it was about a month there where it was like, man, like I just, my sister's gone. She's never coming back. My mom and dad are devastated. I'm an alcoholic. They don't know the extent of it. Pe- few people do. I was broken. You know, I was shattered all over and, you know, and I think part of, Part of the self pride I have, most pride I have in myself, is that you know I got up off the ground. Life is all about that. As like I said earlier, you know it's picking yourself up off the ground because it doesn't just matter that it's a uh, an addiction uh, disorder that that may hamper you or what you're doing in your life. It could be many a multitude of things. It may have nothing to do with addiction but life always deals us blows. And it's a matter of how we respond to them and how we get back up and move forward. And that's why I think to me, you know, when I look at my life now at 50 years old, um, I, I battled so much adversity getting bullied as a teenager, uh, you know, to wanting and knowing that the only thing that I could do would be to make the NHL at that time, you know, to, to silence everybody. Yeah. It was a great win in my life and then to play for yeah, what seemed like an eternity year after year after year of one of the great sports cities in America. And then to have had, you know, I call, I call my journey, the rise, fall and the rise. And, and that's what it was. I was a, a great fall that led up to my sister's passing. And it was almost like God said, you know what, I'm going to give you the heaviest load you're ever going to have to handle in your life. And we're going to see what you're made of. And when I look at my journey now, my, my greatest accomplishment was not making the NHL or being a broadcaster it was getting sober and giving my four children and myself a chance to be the best people we could be. And that, and then, and now after that, uh, it's to spread that message and let other people know that, that are still sick and suffering that it's okay. And if you need to talk or you need to hear something, then listen to your podcast. Listen to what people are saying. You know, hear what, hear the words because it's not all, it's not dire. I look at this as an opportunity to, Take a positive, um great right step forward. Oh, you know, dude! Not, yeah, it,
1: it, yeah, I mean, yeah, and
0: not to. And part of it it does mean you have to admit you got a problem. Yeah, that's sometimes hard. Like I lost. I lost the battle of alcohol. It was a hell of a fun ride for a while
1: until it wasn't. <laughs> totally, dude. I lost and I lost bad, man. I got
0: knocked. I got knocked out
1: cold. Well, you sur- and, you um, surrender to win, and uh that's really hard that's for people it. to conceptualize. When you now as a Recovery addict for Karen, uh, you know, you see the light in in your girl's eyes and your son's eyes when the, when they're just talking to you because of the guy you've become today. What washes over you in those moments when you're speaking in front of a crowd, you know, uh, talking to them about recovery? And I got to imagine you, it's got to be pretty crazy to, 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 you know, make an incredible play on the ice in front of 20 some thousand um, at the Wells Fargo Center, right? But but like it's it's all it's a whole different different high.
0: Yeah, I, I don't remember my puck skills making too many great plays, but <laughs> <laughs> a good defensive effort. You yeah. know, I, I mean, I, I, that, that's kind of, I think my my I think my my humbleness playing into it. But you know what? Like I said, I I think that, I I guess when I'm up there talking to people, it just that, you know, that I did this, and, and, and I guess because I realized that I, I probably didn't at one time, you know, I ne- didn't necessarily believe that I ever really could do that, so I think that that's where the challenge comes in, in many ways, when I look at myself now, but you know, I, I just look at, I think, the life that's, that I've set up for myself, I have a lot of pride in who I am now, you know, and, and I still but I still have to guard every day, you know, that's, I'm, I'm one drink away from going from throwing this all away and i think you know as someone is serious about what i am and who i am and what i'm doing that's my number one thing to make sure that that never happens because that is that is truly like when i say it. this and I, and I say this and with, with with hope this will never happen to me again i will never let this happen to me again where something controlled me and took over my life and that's what alcohol did and that can never, ever, ever happen again because my relationship with people, my relationship with the world and what surrounds it depends on what I do when I'm sober. Nothing good comes of alcohol. And I know that now. And, and I know that there's other people that are still trying to figure that out. And I promise you that they will eventually. They will if they want to hear that message and if they want to take a shot at it, you can get sober. We did it. And that's what I believe. Every single day I get up and talk to somebody, if I did it, so
1: can you. It's funny, Chris, man. We we did do it. I, I on a much lower scale can relate to you. I did. But by, by this time, you were probably uh, you were with NBC Sports with the Flyers. I did PR for the Sixers for like three years in the And I was a cocaine addict and a drunk. And I can remember sneaking back off in the Lexus Club um, to, to, to get a quick drink while I was working or going back to my desk. This is during games, you know. Um, when I was supposed to be working for the Sixers, like in the same bowels of that arena, you know, where you ran out that door, I know exactly the door you went out. Um, and it's just, when you're telling me that stuff, God, I mean, those guys, the guards were such great guys, you know, but you're telling me that stuff and I'm like, I'm right there. Uh, and, and I don't think that you had to have worked in that building to connect with you. You really, uh, you carry the message. So I I just want to say from the bottom of my heart and for other people out there who, are looking to break this stigma, man. Like, thank you for what you're doing because it's a huge deal.
0: Yeah, and thank you to you as well. I mean, the more message people carrying, the message delivering that message, I think is just so, so important. Uh, breaking the stigma. You know, you're not a loser. Life's not over. Get yourself the help and get yourself back on the on the same track. You were, uh, you know, to get yourself your life back. And that's that's a message. We all live the best of our abilities. You don't need to let a drug or, or alcohol take you to spots that make you the the least desirable version of yourself to you and to the people around
1: you. Chris, you're the man. What's the, what's the podcast one more time. So people know it's snow, the goalie.
0: Yeah. Snow the goalie. It's a flyer podcast. It's I mean, awesome. It's
1: been my, 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 my buddies love it. So it's snow, the goalie. Yeah. And you're also yeah. a recovery advocate for Karen. And uh, we're working on the foundation, which is going to support guys and gals that need to go to extended care, which is awesome. And we'll, we're going to link all yeah. this stuff to the yeah. podcast.
0: Yeah, and also, and, and this like that very, very, uh, you know, when I jumped in, we have a great people behind us. I have Pennsylvania Recovery Center is also our aftercare. We have one in Phoenixville, and then okay. I, I have the small piece of the one in, in Fishtown. Um, and that really, that's just, again, for people that need, uh, yeah. you know, in the city. I always felt when I started this, it had to be part of the city of Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, So, uh, again, no, but Karen Karen is absolutely the best. I'm so proud to be an ambassador for them, to carry that message. Uh, I'm doing a lot of great things with them. And and, uh, just the start of what I hope is a very, very long uh, and successful relationship together.
1: Hey, thank you so much for making the time today, man. I really appreciate it, Chris.